Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Kreft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. When we were choosing which coffee to pair with our cakes when we first opened our cake shop in Karori, it was kinda a no-brainer. Coffee Supreme has been around since 1993 and is one of the best known and most enjoyed coffee brands in New Zealand and more and more around the world as well. Scarily, that makes Coffee Supreme a whopping 27 years old. And when you factor in the fact that this business was actually born from the ashes of a failed coffee company and that most businesses fail on average within the first five years of their life, you'll see what we mean when we talk about longevity. Once we began working with the Coffee Supreme team, we instantly figured out why. Of course, it goes without saying that their coffee is fantastic, but their team, their brand, and their service really takes things to the next level. Safe to say, I've never met a Coffee Supreme team member I didn't like, and that, no doubt, is testament in part to their fearless leader, Al, who is my guest on Pep Talk today. So grab a coffee, get comfortable, and join me for a chat while I pick Al's brain on all things coffee, culture, branding, teamwork, and the huge impact that COVID, not COVID-19, COVID-19 has had on business and life. Ready? Let's go. Hi, Al. Welcome. Welcome to Pep Talk. It's great to have you in for a chat. Hello Grace, uh, nice to be here, thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. so everyone, Al has just told me before we hit record that he's working from home today uh, and has just finished baking a lemon loaf with his eight year old, so how did it come out Al? Uh, came out perfectly and I should add too that when I'm working from home I don't normally bake, I normally work, but I'm home <laughs> with a sick child so. <laughs> I feel like you're not the one that has to justify that as CEO, like I think you're you're okay, but we've got it covered just in case. <laughs> yep, there we go, thank you. Nice. <clears throat> so if you've heard any Pep Talk episodes before, you'll know that we always like to warm up with some this or that questions that put you on the spot a little bit. Yep, good. Get to know you quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, they do seem very simple, but sometimes they can be very revealing. So are you ready for yours? Come at me. All right, number one, we've got herbs or spices? Herbs. Oh, that was quick. And what's your favorite herb? Follow-up question. Uh, parsley. Good flat parsley. You know, Flatly, I think they call yeah. it Italian parsley in the supermarket. <laughs> oh, it sounds fancier uh, when you put it like that. <laughs> so fancy. But I do love thyme as well. Thyme's a goodie. Mm. Oh, actually, I love lots of herbs. Coriander. Coriander's the best. But if I was stuck on an island, I'd take parsley. <laughs> All right, second, we've got singing or playing a musical instrument? Playing a musical instrument, which I can do. Singing, I cannot. <laughs> what, <laughs> what's your instrument? What do you play? Uh, I play bass. Yep. Nice. bass. And do you have guitar. a band or anything, or do you just do it for fun? Nah, I do it, well, I haven't done it for quite a while. I have played in lots of bands uh, over the years but I have not done it for a while, so now I just do it in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one. We've got follow the crowd or take the path less travelled? 
Wow, that's a bit of a stitch-up, isn't it? You can interpret um, that however <coughs> you will. I'll take the path less travelled. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's how I would describe myself. And, yeah, it, it feels like a bit of a stitch-up. Has anyone ever answered, yeah, follow the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> I've never asked that one before. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get um, into the, the concert or the game, I guess you follow the crowd, eh? It's true. True. Gets, you, gets you, you some places. <laughs> There's a time and a place. All right. Next, we've got swimming at the beach or swimming in the pool. Swimming at the beach, any any day. And then Saturdays or Sundays. Sundays. Hmm. I feel like Sunday has a bit of a bad rep sometimes for being like you know like the Sunday blues that people get and things. Mm. That's good. Yeah, it can be a bit flat. Saturdays are busy because three children and sport and, you know, chores and stuff. You get everything done. Yeah, that's true. And Sundays is taco night, so that's (laughs) um, an institution in our house. Oh, that sounds fun. I thought that was meant to be Tuesday, though. Taco Tuesday? Uh, Don't know what we do on Tuesdays. Just breaking the rules all over the place. (laughs) We just do it Sunday. We've done it for for a while, and the kids love it, and it's just a thing. Oh, that's a cool tradition. Yeah, that's fun. All right, last one for you, Mm -hmm. also food themed. Entree or dessert? Entree. Yeah, not not a sweet tooth. Despite your lemon loaf. (laughs) My daughter made the lemon loaf. (laughs) I will try it. I will try it. Yeah, definitely an entree. Um, I would always reach for savoury over sweet, especially at the buffet. Mm. Mm. Oh, there you go. I warned you that it was going to be quite revealing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I feel There's revealed. A, <laughs> a bit of a crash course in our favourite. And now we better move on to some business chat so we don't talk about musical instruments for the full <laughs> 45 minutes. But okay. for this kind of first part of the chat, I like to put on a bit of a business as usual hat. Yes. And obviously business is everything but usual right now. Um, But at first, it's kind of nice just to get a bit of the background of the story of the business and growth before we start digging a bit deeper into what's happening right now, which is a lot at the moment. Um, But to begin with, let's start with your personal background. So you Mm -hmm. are the CEO of Coffee Supreme, which means I I imagine there's a bit of a career that went on before that that led you to where you are now. So what was your background? What What were you like in school? And did you go to university? Tell us that whole kind of story so school was a ball ache for me I was bored I often remember it to anxiety um, I went to th- quite a few sc- I went to six schools in total oh, wow. my my parents moved around we moved to Australia for a bit I came home I then did three different years and three different high schools uh, oh, that's intense yeah pretty intense and so it made me learn the skill of working my way from the outside in Mm -hmm. and um, I saw a therapist years later about a bunch of other things going on in my life but he identified (laughs) six schools and my ability to make friends and win people over and he was like this is definitely a pattern in your life where you start on the outside and you end up uh, you know working your way into the centre. So that was my school. I'm not an academic. I found school quite tedious and I bombed out the first time, was asked to leave and then had a year off working in hospitality, funnily enough. Then finished that year but decided I should probably go back and do seventh form. So anyway, I did that and 
couldn't wait to get out of school again and took myself dairy farming because I wanted to move out of home and out of the city. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. There you go. There's something very few people know. Yeah. And I did a year on a dairy farm down just sort of southeast of Matamata. Oh my goodness, were you a share milker or something on the farm? I worked for a share milker, yeah. So oh. I stayed in a little um, lean-to off the back of the garage <laughs> for and worked brutally hard. I kind of loved yeah. it. Then I came home and I studied industrial product design and that was a four-year degree which I again found quite tedious uh, being stuck in an institution. But I fell in love with a tutor, a guy called Humphrey Eichen, who is a legendary New Zealand furniture designer maker and he and I got on really well and I basically just disappeared into the workshop for years and made lots of amazing things, some of which I still own or have given away and I just fell in love with making and furniture and, you know, thinking creatively uh, and, yeah. So then I kind of lost interest in that, as I do, and bombed out in the final year. I have one paper to go, but I just can't bring myself to do it because I'm like, oh, so close. Uh, what, would I, what would I get out of it? A degree? Piece of paper, yeah. Yeah, piece of paper. <laughs> I went into business on my own as a furniture designer maker and worked for a little over a year doing that and in that year I had lots of fun and went snowboarding and you know bought a new Vespa and all of that but I also got into a lot of debt because I am just not good at working alone and I didn't know how to manage money or I just got into a bit of trouble. I also got stiffed by a couple of people and lost some significant money that way. Enough to get into debt and say okay I better go back to work so I ended up falling back into coffee, which um, I was what I did to pay my way through design school. And I fell back into coffee. I worked for a crowd called Atomic here in Auckland, uh, which was heaps of fun. I spent about four and a half years there and then got a phone call from Supreme saying, we'd like to set up in Auckland. We need somebody to, to get us on the ground. Uh, and so I said, sure. I was bored, typically, and I said, yeah, let's do it. So that that was 15 years ago. What a journey. I really enjoyed that. And so not what, I mean, just on the surface, what you would pick. Like, there's a lot in there that you wouldn't think of, and it just shows how these journeys and paths and where you end up are just so not predictable, and you just kind of have to roll with it along the way. And I yeah. guess it, it probably always goes without saying that you've you've always liked coffee and I think I read that you'd had like your first taste of coffee when you were just eight or something do you think that it would be possible to do your job and not like coffee or not love coffee no I don't think you can work in an industry where you don't uh, have a sort of default love for the product um, yes you can love business and you can love production and you can love you know operational things and you can be good at all of those things, but if you don't love the product that you're selling, then you're really just selling something. And I know, because I've personally worked with something that I have loved, in my case it was cake, and I don't think it necessarily kills your love of it, but it does definitely change your relationship with it. Like, have you found that sometimes the smell of coffee, like on the weekend, can trigger you a little bit, like bring in that stress, or are you still just as in love with it as you always were? No, yeah, that's a good question, and I totally appreciate that from a baker. <laughs> um, you, you, 
I'm sure you love eating cake and love making cake as much as you do love selling it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, look, coffee for me, I, regardless of the, the stress levels or whatever's going on at work or in the industry or the world of coffee, I still get up and make coffee and drink it. So coffee for me is just what you do when you get out of bed and it's what you pour when you sit down to have a meeting or a good conversation with somebody or meet a friend or my mother or whatever. So no, it triggers no anxiety. (laughs) Good. And good that it hasn't lost that magic for you because that's obviously, as you said, an essential ingredient. I will always love coffee. I mean, (laughs) I perhaps don't spring out of coffee like I did once as a career mm. but I still spring out of bed for coffee to drink <laughs> different yeah I like mm. that so we've heard a bit about your background Al and now it'd be cool to touch on the Coffee Supreme background so you've been there 15 years but it actually has history beyond that because it was started back in 93 I think it was which to me being a being an 80s 90s kid that doesn't sound that long ago but actually 27 years that's kind of crazy so uh, what did that all look like because it started off in Wellington right in the hospitality kind of scene what's a bit of a condensed history of where it's gone since then? Okay condensed history is Chris Dillon and Maggie Wells who are still owners uh, and Chris is still involved, he's the chair. They started Supreme kind of by accident the story goes. They had a cafe called Reds on Willis Street and uh, down near Unity Books if you know you know you know that and they opened a cafe after they um, things fell apart for them in the 80s crash. They were involved in film. Maggie had always been involved in hospitality. So after um, Chris had come unstuck in the 80s, they decided to open this little cafe in Willow Street and called it Reds, named, which was inspired by Maggie's wild, beautiful red hair which she still has, obviously. And now, of course, Supreme has the red everywhere still, too. And reds has bled through the business. Yeah. They also had a red coffee machine. I think they had a red wall, like a feature wall, because you did that in the 90s, <laughs> uh, and it was always burgundy. And so they then their coffee company that they were buying from, their coffee supplier, uh, hit a tough spot, and they had an opportunity to acquire them, so they did, and they called it Reds. And that is how, sorry, they called it Supreme, Coffee Supreme, pardon me. And that is how Supreme came to be. Then from there, Chris sort of peddled uh, coffee around Wellington and also the South Island. He, he's from the South, so he sort of headed south. And, he, you know, as the story goes, he armed himself with a bag of coffee, a grinder under the other arm and some cleaner. You know the chemical cleaner that you use for your machine? <laughs> yeah terrible stinky caustic soda he said his greatest sales trick was cleaning people's machines before he put supreme through it because nobody ever cleaned their machine back then Uh, and they just you know people smoked while they made coffee so you can imagine the state of machinery and so it actually tasted good compared with what they were doing before yeah so they that's right and so then he would clean the machine and then say now i'll put some supreme through it in a grinder that was also probably quite clean and they were blown away and they bought it off him and that's interesting how how supreme began and that that little detail has run through supreme all the way to now which is you know detail cleanliness having a good service program all of those types of things and a focus on coffee and that's kind of the history of Supreme. I mean, the other chapters are Australia, 
in about 2001, the South Island, Auckland in 2005, Tokyo in 2007. And that kind of all sounds like it's just like ticking boxes. Like you make it sound very easy, like Melbourne, tick, crash it, tick. But I imagine that replicating that magic that, that's been in Wellington for so long and has all that history and taking that magic to these different places with like different culture, different scene, different people, that's not an easy feat, obviously. So what do you think the secret has been to, to Coffee Supreme replicating that so well around the world? Yeah, it's a good point. It's certainly not a tick, and there's lots of work that goes into it. But I should confess also that we, we've been very organic at Supreme, and we've kind of ended up in markets because people have wanted to go there, and the board or the founder has said, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, like the team wanted to go there? Yeah, so uh-huh. we, I mean, our first outing was to Melbourne, where a couple of talented people in the business said on returning home from the Formula One, they said, hey, we think there's a market for New Zealand-style lighter roasted coffee in Melbourne. At the time, Melbourne was um, predominantly, you know, European-style coffee, very dark. It sort of tasted like ashtray. And they thought there is a market for this growing... Um, wonderful coffee culture that New Zealand has in that city and so they were backed off they went they started very modestly and it's been what 18 19 years and so they really took good specialty coffee to the Australians uh, which have now of course Melbourne claims to be the coffee capital of the world so I think Supreme should take a little bow for that yeah take some credit Auckland was another story, I guess. They saw an opportunity in the biggest city in New Zealand with the biggest population and said, hey, we should be in Auckland. There's a huge opportunity. They didn't really have a plan. They hired, you know, I I got on board with a little toolbox and a van and we we had a go at it. We had no plans to dominate. We just wanted to crack crack the market, which proved very difficult for a long time because it was dominated by some big established roasters up here, all press. Atomic were here, Craig Miller was going, uh, was still really strong. Even Carajos was, you know, then considered brand. Um, and so we, we just grew from there. What we did basically was we built a really talented and passionate team of people who were very competitive and desperately wanted to win the the gospel according to the time was the metro top 50 you know it mm-hmm. and so we just wanted to kick all press out and i've laughed with lots of good friends who work at all press about this so i don't <laughs> mind talking about it on air they'll they'll nod and grin they dominated the metro top 50 which is the cafes that you know, they sort of talk about the coffee that these cafes use. And so the goal was to have more, supply more cafes in the Metro Top 50 than all press. And <laughs> I like that. It, it took us about eight years. Yeah, but we, and so but now we you did are. Yeah. And now we are. And now, sadly, Metro is over. But the last Metro Top 50, we, we dominated. Nice. And that's, Fits. so we can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, a quite a big part of that success and the longevity of everything must be that the brand 
uh, the branding, the culture, and that kind of personality, I guess, which is, is kind of intangible and quite hard to describe. And I've been trying to think of words to describe this to people because I'm, I'm very familiar with it, having worked with it for a long time. But um, it's hard to put into words. And then I was like, hold on a minute. This is your job, Al. <laughs> How do you describe Coffee Supreme? Like if it was a person, what is that, that personality? What would be on its Tinder profile? Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Um... <clears throat> Supreme is, uh, I, I would say, and you know, people will criticise me for this perhaps, but that's okay. Supreme is quite modest, but very tasteful. Supreme is a culture that has come from a group of people who have been facing in the same direction for a long time. That direction is to be the best and to share that bestness you know um, with as many people as possible and to win as many people over to it to create fans which which grows and you can have tons of fun together supreme is yes it's quality coffee but there is so much great coffee in this country and most countries in the world now have you can find great coffee somewhere so great coffee is not enough anymore what sets you apart is your culture and what represents your culture the, the best way to rep the thing that most easily represents that is your brand and your brand is not just a logo on, a, on the side of a van or a sticker on a bag that's not what I'm talking about when I say brand your brand is your DNA and your DNA comes out in the way that you speak the way that you write words down your tone of voice it's the way that you address complaints from customers. It's the way that you lift people up and make them feel better. It's, it's all of those things. It's the way you deliver on what you promised you said you'd do. Those things make your brand, which are your, your company culture. And I am really confident in saying that I think Supreme has the strongest brand in this country and a huge following. Yes, in Australia, it's a really different world. It's so competitive and so uh, crowded with great coffee brands and, and coffee itself. So the road ahead there is, is going to be a bit longer to reach that point. But I think in New Zealand, we've, we've maintained our integrity but continued to provide really good product and grown a brand that people really love. That's, and the goal is to become an iconic uh, an iconic brand and we've always aspired to being like the Vogels of coffee or the Whitakers of coffee. That's a good way of putting it. I think that was a very just very poetic description. I really enjoyed that oh. and I think that definitely comes across uh, from the other end as well and I guess another part of it that pops into my head when I hear that as part of that kind of DNA is the people and those those people in your team they're they're kind of the living version of that I guess and I've totally. worked with them for a long time I've even made uh, some of their wedding cakes and they oh. they're just <laughs> they're just really top-notch people like they're really friendly and open and I think the team the team culture and your style and everything it, it just must be a real testament to you as the CEO and I guess you know their parents and things probably had a bit to do with it but you can take some of the credit and building this team around you that represents Coffee Supreme and, and brings it to life really stands out to me definitely 
Yeah, oh, thank you. That's very nice. I, I am not going to take credit for it. I know it's expected <laughs> that I would say that, but honestly, oh, no, I'll explain why. Mm. I, I haven't built something and I haven't made an amazing brand. I joined the company halfway through its life to date. So I joined 15 years ago. What I did was I identified something we wanted to achieve and gathered talented people. And that's my greatest achievement. I have gathered people who wanted to do this as well and they got it done no that's humble but i like it it's i don't hope it doesn't sound too humble i'm not denying that i have talent and i have abil abilities and you know i love i love the future i am no have no interest in in what's happening right now in detail i'm very big picture focused and aspirational and I guess my talent is getting people to get on board with that. And those people have talents to finish and do detail. I'm sure it's not always like that, but that... Not always like yeah. that, no. There's <laughs> other, you know, you have to do lots of firefighting and tears mm. and, and all that jazz as well. And board reports. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and kind of looking at that bit of that, your role personally, like I'm always fascinated to hear, maybe I'm just nosy, but I like finding out what people do for their job in the like day to day and so what is that like for you what's a bit of a day in the life like for Al? My I spend a lot of my time on the phone or doing this calls or uh, on you know Google Hangouts or Zoom or whatever we're using I think we all switched to Zoom through Covid because it was just so so much better than everything else uh, what happened to Skype did they just go under yeah, I suppose? Skype doesn't come up much these days <laughs> nah but people still say they're Skyping. Yeah, you know? but like then they the... use a different platform, which is a bit awkward. <laughs> yeah, so I guess they won, they won that one. Um, so I spend a lot of my time doing that. I spend a lot of my time as a sounding board for people who are presenting problems and need help with solutions, so that's a big part of it. Uh, I spend time getting people to hold hands who've stopped holding hands. I can to get people facing in the right direction. I also spend a hell of a lot of time typing, I have to say, and that has kind of been part of what's broken me. Like it's, writing emails or do yeah, putting documents together? Oh, just a torrent of emails. You know what it's like. Uh, I had an amazing assistant for the last 18 months, Audrey, who just saved me from drowning in emails and admin. But And, of course, then writing, reporting. You know, I'm not not massive on numbers or spreadsheets i find spreadsheets pretty dry so uh but you can't just shrug it if you're a ceo so you have to keep keep doing it so that's sort of a day in a day in my life is any one of those tasks there was a lot of travel uh you know we're in seven cities in three countries so you spend a lot of time on airplanes which is is not great and has changed dramatically not happening right now yeah no uh which is a good thing yeah, uh, good for my mental health and good for the planet. Yeah. So. And of course, making lemon loaves just day in day out. Oh, then there's <laughs> yeah. Then there's the other. Uh, you know what? Seventy percent of my life being which a parent is being a parent and a husband and a friend and a son mm -hmm. and a sibling and all of that. <laughs> and so, uh, I that's what I love as well. Yeah, three amazing kids and we love eating and fishing and yeah. So it's good. And packing that all into a seven-day week must be quite challenging. But uh, You definitely balance it. I mean, just recently through all of this COVID business and 
and a bunch of stuff, my older sister called me out and said, Al, we never picked you as a workaholic, but you've become a workaholic. Oh, and, you know, she said, your family have normalised your absence, which really, mm. you know, slapped me in the face. Was that a surprise? Yeah. It was a surprise. I mean, this is somebody who loves me and has known me all of my life and has my interests at heart. Mm. And to hear her say that was like, oh, shit. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's all in the mix at the moment. But, yeah, being where, where we are right now, it maybe changes that a little bit because you've probably been around quite a lot. Um, but before we do dive into all of that, the last thing that I'd like to hear about in this kind of part of our chat, which you've touched on a bit already, is that kind of bigger picture side of things. And I know it is a bit of an odd time to be thinking about the future to some extent, but also an exciting time. So I would love to hear what your kind of big picture, what's next for Coffee Supreme? What's the focus and the growth from here, like for the next 27 years? <laughs> well, simply to become an iconic New Zealand and Australian brand, co coffee brand, uh, and not just specifically coffee, although that's our core product, uh, but to get New Zealand to everybody. We created a, a new purpose a little while ago. Uh, you know, you do your values and your purpose, but we, we poured over this and we came out at the end with better coffee for all. And the goal really is to get Coffee Supreme to everybody in New Zealand who drinks coffee, not just specialty people, not just people who go to cafes, not just people who you know, order coffee to have it on their doorstep, but people in supermarkets, people working in milking sheds on <laughs> at 4.30 in the mornings. Because you know what that's like. I know what that's like, <laughs> and we drank nothing but terrible instant that mm. you buy in bulk from the farm supply farm store. Supply, yeah, it's got farm. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, PG Wrightson's, I think, was our coffee oh, yeah. supplier. Yeah. So <laughs> That well-known coffee company. That's right. And so... <laughs> That, that's kind of the next 27 years. Obviously, what's in front of us right now is recovering and getting through COVID in one piece after a brutal couple of months. Um, yeah, so that kind of takes us back, slap bang into the real world. And of course, right now we are in level one. And so things are starting to kind of waken back up again and, and come back to life a little bit. Uh, but maybe you could tell us a bit about what that lockdown time was like for the Coffee Supreme team. Yeah, it, uh, we, in some ways, I feel like we had, had a quite a good plan J just months before COVID when it was a sort of a blip on the radar and we were at, you know, at the beach over summer and reading in the newspapers about this crazy thing with bats and Wuhan and it was just something in the newspaper that you, you skimmed over. We, our board asked us to put a little committee together for risk and audit, um, uh, you know, risk and audit management committee. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know, which you know, every company our size should have and every board should request to see a paper on this from time to time. So we threw this gang together and it was about the time that it was think we were thinking this might actually come to New Zealand. And so we started planning. What would it look like? We started forecasting. We started creating some scenarios. And it escalated so quickly that we started meeting weekly and all of a sudden we had a case and 
by that stage we actually had a plan and so I, I feel very fortunate that we got into that position but it didn't mean that when the wave, the first wave hit us that it was any less painful and I sort of have talked about this a few times but it's COVID is like two great tsunamis, two great waves coming and the first wave was obviously the virus which smashed us and sent us all home and locked us into our houses and we turned our businesses off. The second wave, which will be the, the long-lasting, really painful one, is the economic wave and that's just breaking on us now and there are people who are, the, the breath that they initially took may not last the whole time, you know, which is quite sobering. It is, yeah, but but and, and yeah, I think you're right. Early on, when we've been talking about this with people, it's been very much like kind of that survival mode, just to get through this lockdown. But mm. now we're kind of cresting out of that and coming into this, like you, how you describe it, it's perfectly this this next and bigger and longer lasting wave. And the adrenaline is wearing off, and the the big breath that you took when you went down in the wave. Uh, you know, when you surf. Well, I don't surf, but I love swimming no, and surf. <laughs> when you're in the surf. And you see a big wave you take a big breath and you get down and you just go with it and it throws you around and it feels amazing because you've got this enormous thing mother nature tossing you around and you feel out of control but you hold your breath knowing i know what's going to happen i'm going to pop up somewhere and it's going to be okay right well we're in there and the breath is running out um so for us it looked like we turned off wholesale, which is eight, which was 80% of our business. Then the government said turn off online because, you know, free up the va the couriers for essential services and you cannot deal direct with the public, even if you're following protocol and working in bubbles and all of that stuff. We dropped down to about 5% of our normal revenue in New Zealand. Australia was like was all over the place so that's yeah, a whole other story yeah yeah uh, and Japan was another story again where they're doing it quite differently and so it was a really brutal time where we just free we, there was free fall and I look at graphs that are just comical because they just dropped to nothing virtually nothing except with that we supplied about at the time about 20 supermarkets of course yeah um, and so then we fought and you know jostled with our industry and we got in touch with the government and pedaled really hard and got online store trading again and that exploded which we felt like gave us another shot of adrenaline or we had a chance at taking another breath and we traded in that at you know like at times three times our normal online trade and that gave us some hope and a little bit of you know a lifeline it was felt like a lifeline yeah. yeah we talked about that word specifically a bit of a lifeline but in reality it wasn't a lifeline because we were trading at 45 percent of normal and it was like how the hell are we going to dig out of this because we've still got rent to pay yes we've got a wage subsidy but that's not going to last forever and so we then you know, we all worked sitting in our kitchen tables and I sat in my garage and we talked on the telephone and I walked up and down this, my street. Or it seemed like for days on end on the telephone. And then things, you know, we came out of it, we went to level three and then level two, etc. And 
and now here we are. Yeah, how has it changed for you guys? So obviously the hospitality accounts and your own cafes and everything are opened back up now. Has have you seen that the you know the graph starting to go back up again? Uh, so we're back trading uh, at about seventy percent of our normal pre-COVID trade. That's with an increase on online sales, but um, about 90-95% of cafes in New Zealand, and I guess I'll just talk about New Zealand here, um, about 90-95% of cafes have reopened, but they're not ordering what they were pre-COVID, so that's why we're trading at about 70%. And uh, the rent deferrals and the rent holidays are ending, and so overheads are coming back on full throttle, um, and the subsidy and will end at, at some the, stage soon, won't it? The subsidy will end at the end of this month. Uh, and we have got ourselves into a large hole, a large cash hole. The other thing to remember is that we buy coffee with USD, which has been painful. Of the, course, yeah. Um, and that's not something you just pop down to more Wilsons to grab. It's <laughs> something that you organise well in advance and pay for in advance and have to budget for because it's our biggest expense as a coffee company. We've had to make some dramatic changes. We've had to look at our overheads and our current income and try and get them to balance again. And so that's meant some quite painful conversations and and processes. Mm, there's so much more to it than, you know, like on the surface. There's yeah, there's so much, so many little parts of everything that come together to, to make this picture. And it's and I imagine every single little part has been affected in some way. So it's, yeah, it's oh, quite a time, you guys. Yes, it's quite a muddle. And if you look at it on the surface, as you say, you'd look at a post on Instagram and say, oh, customs has reopened. Yay, like. And that that is just like this paper thin thing where beneath it is a, a massive storm you know and it's it's such a balance between yeah you say like the the instagram the social media side of things like what you what you present and and what you keep private but then also <laughs> being honest and open and there's just so many different ingredients in it so but I, I think you guys strike a good balance and and like i i follow you guys and i and i've seen the way that you've communicated through the lockdown and with that change that you had you know being able to ship and then not being shipping and then shipping again and you just have to be honest about it you've been like this is a shit storm and we're trying to navigate it so thanks for, <laughs> for your support and i think that's come across well yeah, well, thank you, because we've definitely deliberated over that and had many conversations. Do you communicate too much? Is yeah, it over-communicating? Yeah. Do you hold off? What does transparency look like if you fail to communicate enough? And so we just said, ah, look, let's just let's just tell people everything that we know. Let's share with them the resources that we're reading. We, we're very careful not to give advice to businesses because we we're not in a position to be able to do that. So we said, here's what we're reading on the COVID website. We'll share it with you. You make your own mind up, but this is what we're doing. And so we had to be very careful. Um, but it's meant some very teary, um, teary stuff also, as well as celebrating reopening and level one and all of that. Uh, we're having to trim down some of our teams and we're having to do some some small restructuring 
to to make sure that we we don't capsize mm. and that's a lot of hard conversations for you to be having from the garage or at work <laughs> yeah well okay so here you go grace i had the hard conversation sitting in the garage um when i got the news that my role was to be disestablished oh really yeah so there's a little news flash for you wow that's huge which is is out because the staff know and our customers know. And so what's the plan for you? Well, so I got the classic letter, um, you know, the board has decided for, for really valid reasons mm. to disestablish the CEO role. We need to cut costs, we need to lower the overheads and so we no longer um, can afford or see enough value in a role like that what we require is commercial and operational management which is in very good hands because my two reports as our ceo were the commercial director and the operations director right. um, two very talented people who who knew their shit. and so the board said that's what we require to sail out of the storm and we don't require the the visionary um leadership qualities and so we'll make a savings. At the same time, they said, we value you and don't want you to leave because you're a key part of the business. 15 years, eight years as CE, with a, with a brief break when we um, took on another CE for a season. Mm. And I w went back to brand and marketing. And so they said, we'd like you to redeploy yourself into an area that the business requires and suits your skill set and so i have put myself back as head of sales oh wow okay yeah which um look i'm not gonna lie it's been really bruising yeah. and it's yep. very humbling and it's humbling to have to tell you on a podcast where you've introduced me as the ceo oh, oh don't worry about that no it's no look it's yeah. just it's the truth and mm. it's okay mm -hmm. and I'm ha very happy to have the truth out. I'm in the second half of my life and would love to make the truth out there. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. Um, it's been hard and I think it's been hard on the team as well. And there are, there are a few other people who are having some restructuring done across the business. And it's, it's actually quite, you know, it's brutal. But it's... COVID and it's having to it's adjust and it's happening around yeah. the world yeah yeah absolutely and and you'll be you'll be able to make a lot of impact presumably in that in that sales role in terms of what the business needs right now I imagine yeah we're, we're all hoping that Grace mm. <laughs> that's the plan <laughs> that's the I bloody better um <laughs> There will be opportunities, but uh, I, I really honestly think we're in, in for a season of retention and just getting around our customers and making sure that they're back to trading as normal as possible. Yes, I think there will be opportunities, but cafes who have reopened have got themselves into a bit of a cash hole, are probably not going to be looking at changing their most visible and significant um, supplier. Unless you can offer something super cheap, uh, and you know, throw them a lifeline there, it's pr it's pretty, it's going to be a challenge. But retention will be will be big. So the sales role really will be about new opportunities, and just 
re-strengthening relationships, wide relationships. Uh, and of course, in Australia, it's a very different ball game. You know, in Sydney, for example, we actually have been trading up through COVID as opposed to anywhere else. Interesting. So, Is that because they still had a lot more things open than we did? Yeah, they were all open. They were doing mostly takeaway, but Sydney just went out. We locked ourselves at home. They just went out. And so, you know, that was really odd for us because Sydney was booming and Brisbane's back, or pretty much back to normal. Melbourne is not far off because they were in and out of sort of level two and three. Um, they never went to level four like we did. So there, there's other opportunities. So does that kind of shift the focus, do you think, a little bit to that overseas, at least in the short term? Yeah, I've definitely um, been on the blower more with the Australian crew uh, that, than I have in the past, and there's been really fun opportunities there, and so there's good things happening. Um, but at home, yes, there's opportunities, and there's a hell of a lot of work to do, so that's where we're at. You'll definitely still be busy, that's for sure, by the sounds of it. Hopefully. Yeah, I'll still be busy, yeah. <laughs> but maybe get a bit of that balance back that we touched on earlier. Yes, I think to be honest, I, uh, you know, when you take a significant pay cut and have a difficult conversation with your board, you definitely reconsider how many hours you'll do. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll definitely not be doing any shirking or sk skipping off, but it's an opportunity for me to say maybe I don't want to be a workaholic and maybe I don't want to spend another 15 years building uh just tirelessly building mm, yeah and interesting timing in light of your you know conversation with your sister as well so yeah mm. it comes yeah together. yeah all right well thank you so much <laughs> i do i honestly really appreciate yeah you being so open and sharing that all with us it's it's just all part of this absolutely insane ride that we're on so it, it's all part of the bigger picture um, yeah, I sorry, I hope I haven't killed it. I've, no, I feel no. like I've brought, I've brought it all down a little bit, haven't I? <laughs> no, you haven't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting, and I think people will really appreciate yeah, just how open you've been with it. And, and we have to be. like I, I'm a very positive person, but there's only so far you can take that, and at some stage you do need to be honest about what's happening and the effect that it's had, and we can't all pretend it's just normal. Oh, yeah, look, it's the truth, and I can't, mm. I just can't stand looking at sort of LinkedIn or Instagram or, you know, when uh, when leaders of businesses or people in quite, I guess, to be honest, quite privileged positions talk mm. about the hardship, but here I am, it's, it's real. Yeah. Um, I've been pumped, you know, so... We need to see all different situations that are happening right now. Um, and I do always like to end, well, I say I like to end on a positive note, but don't feel that it has to be positive. But maybe you can share with us a bit of advice or, or a tip or something that you've learned through this, this journey in life or business. Um, it would be a really nice way to round things out. So quotes, I, I do love quotes. I know that you know, the internets are full of quotes. And <laughs> so I do <laughs> tend to... I read one through all of this, which I thought was brilliant. It's Winston Churchill, who's, you know, was a character. <laughs> I guess that's an easy way to say it. Mm -hmm. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. And that I think that's very timely for many of us it who 
have bills and uncertainty and stress and still family and still having to go to work with all of this uncertainty yes the terror of of the virus has perhaps ended but um Anyway, that was one that really stuck out for me. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that for life and business. I think that's yeah, really that's good life at the and moment. business. Yeah, if you're going through hell, keep going. So yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You know, you're just being so generous and open with everything. So I really appreciate that. You're really welcome. Thank you for having me, Grace. Take care. Thanks, Al. Bye. See you later. That really was so cool to hear Al's personal story, as well as finding out a little of the magic that goes on behind the scenes in creating such a successful and long-lasting business. I really am so grateful to Al for being so open and honest and sharing that full story around what is the absolutely devastating impact that COVID-19 has had, both on business and on his personal life. I really loved hearing his approach and his wisdom despite these genuinely tough times and I'm so glad that I got to share this really important and raw conversation with you guys today. As always, I really hope that you enjoyed this chat with me and if you have, please do share it around to spread the pep talk love as far and wide as we can. A nice easy way for you to do that is to do a screen grab of your phone right now and pop it on your Instagram stories, tag at peptalknz so that we can feel the love too. Oh, and what's that? Yep, must be time to put another coffee on. (laughs) Until next time, bye.